Welcome to Walking with Freya, a journey through special needs parenting. This podcast is a place for parents and caregivers of children with special needs to share stories, the very real struggles and challenges we face, along with the inevitable love and joy these children have brought into our lives. This is a place for unapologetic honesty, well-intentioned laughter, and endless support. A safe place for us to learn, share, discuss, and help each other navigate this often unexpected journey. Be kind, be supportive, and when you can, keep the humor. My name is Annie, and welcome to Walking with Freya. Hey everyone, welcome back to Walking with Freya. I hope you all are surviving 2019 so far, and especially all of you out there working without pay, government employees that I'm sure are beyond frustrated. I don't like to talk politics on this podcast because this is meant to be a community of inclusion and respect, and politics has a way of of, uh, blurring those, so we'll leave it at that. I just want to say that we are thinking of you and we are all hoping that our government can pull themselves together and get us through this. So I'm going to keep this intro short because the interview here is longer than normal, but once you hear this story, you will understand why. What if your 17-month-old, typically developing daughter, almost overnight, lost the use of her hands, the ability to speak, or even hold eye contact. How would you move forward? Well, if you are a parent of a child with special needs, you know the answer. You just do. You put one foot in front of the other. You get all the services you can. You research until your eyes cross. You send a letter to the doctor who told you never to expect anything. And you fight fiercely for your daughter and help her live a beautiful, wonderful life surrounded by strong, capable, and loving people. Chantelle, a thoughtful, wise, and inspiring mother, spoke with me about her 21-year-old daughter, Havana, diagnosed with Rett syndrome. We talked genetics, coping, seizures, survival, inclusion. We shed some tears and we chuckle, we witness the heartbreak, and we celebrate the victories. I do feel the need to add a disclaimer. Our conversation at some point comes around to the topic of inclusion and what we experienced, or rather didn't experience, growing up. I refer to a family that lived down the street from me who had a son with a disability. Now those were the times when the diagnosis was simply mental retardation or at least that's what the family told everyone else. I do not use the word to be offensive, but merely as a fact of what was, and as an example of how far we have come or how far we still need to go. And I don't mention his name as I'm talking about him, but I wanted to say it here because I do remember him. And his name was Ryan. Now, I know this episode is a bit longer than usual, but it is totally worth listening to the end, I promise you. And please remember, as always, to subscribe to this podcast on your podcast app, rate and review wherever you listen. That is so crucial to the success of this podcast. I know a lot of you are telling friends, you're telling clients, and I'm getting some wonderful feedback And I'm so grateful for you who are spreading the word. So if more of you want to jump on that bandwagon and tell a friend, tell a family member, get on your, on your phone right now and leave a rating, leave a review, all of that helps to spread the word and helps to get it out there to people who maybe really need to hear these stories. You can send me an email or a Facebook message and let me know what you think about these stories and this information, or if you have ideas of what you'd like to hear about, or let me know how, or let me know that you want to tell your story on the podcast. You can follow Walking with Freya on Instagram to get updates on the episodes and to see cute pictures of Freya rocking at life.
So there's all of that. Also, I have been working hard creating something for this community and it's getting closer to its release and I'm really excited about it. It is going to be a mixture of audio, video, PDF, writing journal full of inspirational quotes, excerpts of my own writing about this journey, and mostly writing prompts to help you process and understand your own journey through the telling of your story. For me, the act of writing and telling my story has always been healing and strengthening, especially uh, this journey with Brea and podcasts of telling my story and and the blog and writing it out and the poetry all of that is really has really been such a gift to my life so I'm looking forward to offering you all something that I hope and think will help you in the same way so look out for that that'll be in the next month or two coming out for now we have the podcast and we have this beautiful story of determination and love. Thanks for being here. Okay. So, Chantel, thank you for being here. I am here with a woman who is, I want to say, a, a bit of a veteran to the world of special needs because your daughter is 20. 21. She's 21 yeah. now, okay. Um, so, and she has Rett syndrome. Mm-hmm. And if we could just start with giving us um, kind of a brief overview of what Rett syndrome is, because it's not very well known. Um, yeah, I didn't know about it before I'd had her, so it's it's kind of a common situation. Um, it's been in the U.S. medical books since 1983. In 1963, Andreas Rett... Uh, European doctor, um, Austria, I believe, is where he was from. Mm-hmm. Um, he noticed two girls who, out of all of his other girls who had uh, cerebral palsy and some other disorders that left them with apraxia, um, he noticed these two particular girls were more alike than not alike. Mm-hmm. And um, it was hand-wringing that he really noticed. And he wrote a report about it and then sat on his desk for 30 years. And then another, a, a U.S. doctor noticed it in 83, and it was published. Um, he noticed the same findings. Uh-huh. Two girls. So just like... Two girls. Hand-wringing. Hand okay. Yeah, so, hold, so you can imagine like what you would do maybe under a stream of hot water, and you're washing yeah. your hands with soap. It's kind of like that. Um, interestingly, my daughter doesn't hand-wring. But, huh. but she definitely has, um, her hands are, are each ringing individually with themselves. So they don't come together, which is the trademark symbol and of the syndrome mm-hmm. um, that they, they ring themselves individually. Huh. Do you, they rarely touch each other. Do you know why that is? Do you have theories? Um, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> theories? I, I mean... I, I feel like to even have a really good theory, I would have to understand the biological oh. makeup of the brain to a degree that... Mm-hmm. I was reading thinking, about some of the... It's, that's, uh, yeah, the genetics and yes, then like what, which yeah. parts on what. And the, I'm going to imagine because the in order to officially have Rett syndrome, you have a mutation on the X chromosome in the MECP2 location. And, um, and within that location are, are several other little, it's, it's a, it's a swath of location. And I, forgive me, like I'm not no, describing this the way a geneticist <laughs> it's okay. would. This is like layman terms. Okay? Yeah, this is for, this is for, <laughs> this not is for your dog knows what I'm, I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a section and within that section are even smaller, um, spots and Havana's is, for example, like spot. T105X. Um, and because of that mutation in the MECP2 area, it leaves you without the um, directions for sugars and proteins to the brain by a certain point in your life. Mm-hmm. That's the way I understand it. Um, so it's left my daughter, for example, with 
smaller head size, although it's not really visible. She's a petite person in general, and that's mm-hmm. also because of the syndrome. Um, and uh, but she wasn't born with a smaller head, for example. That that's something that developed. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, well, because that's kind of the one of the telltale characteristics of this is that it come it, it you don't see it at birth. No, you don't. But they're born with it. Right. So. Um, the boys, for example, because it's an X chromosome, um, it affects the boys on a level that's devastating. A lot of the boys don't survive. Most of them don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and I mentioned this and I was talking to Laura. Um, well, the boys in utero, maybe mom miscarries, stillbirth, mm-hmm. baby dies minutes, hours after being born. I think there's a few out there that have lived for a year. I think there's one out there that's going on five. There's um, this incredible breakthrough, and you never wish this on anyone, but it's it's what hope looks like in this world. There's a, a little boy by a, a rather famous newscaster um, who I believe is going on a second and a half year mm-hmm. who, who also has the official diagnosis mutation of Brett syndrome. And while he's a functioning boy, I believe he's the first boy that can really have this this life where basically he can blink, swallow, and breathe in the same minute. You know, he, he's not challenging, grasping for life every second. Like, what is happening? What would happen if a, um, in a typical case? Wow. Because, because males are XY chromosomes. So they don't have without that healthy X. It's that's where the devastation comes in, or the you know. Right. The yeah, you said that on Laura's. That was fascinating. That because yeah. I had read that that it's almost always girls that have it, and I was like, why is that? And I didn't even think that it was. You know, it yeah. did happen to boys, but that they just don't make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and that wasn't really even understood in 1999, when a mom, whom, had a sister. With Rett syndrome. So uh, when that when that mom had a little girl with Rett syndrome, she uh, this is gonna be kind of a confusing story if I keep saying mom and mom. So there's grandma, there's mom, and there's the daughter. Okay. And there's the sister of the right. mommy with me. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally with you. Um the mom has a has a child with Rett syndrome. She calls up the grandma, her own mother. You know, is this what my sister looked like when she was younger? Were these things happening? They were. So there was this family link. Okay. One of the first links that they put together. So there was an aunt, a, a, a child and her aunt right. both had Rett syndrome. It was in a family. That was like kind of the first, like, hmm. whoa, okay, there's two people in a family. Maybe this is clinical diagnosis can be looked at now and we can figure some things out what was happening in the, in the world of genetics in that time then that mom had a second child and it was a boy so they tested the mom she had Rett syndrome as did her sister Are you with me still so the mom had it but it just wasn't she had high functioning Rett syndrome wow. she had like what I'm assuming, the way I understand it anyways, is her healthy ex completely dominated, or not completely, but but was the, the in charge. very high degree of in charge versus the mutated ex, whereas her sister had, you know, what would probably be your typical combination, what, what we see today as your typical Rett syndrome. Mm-hmm. So... Because of this family, they were able to find the mutation on the MECP2 syndrome, uh, the MECP2 location on the X chromosome in 1999. And I, the boy didn't make it, obviously. Um, no, no. But so is it? Is it a hereditary thing? Is so it... now, Havana. My uh-huh. daughter, when she, if she were to have a child, yes, it's genetic, 50% chance. It's in her makeup now. Mm-hmm. However, it's not in, and it's the case in most 
cases, it's a spontaneous mutation. That's what the, they call it in the medical world. Um, so Havana's mu- mutation on the X chromosome is spontaneous. spontaneous. So it can mutation. be spontaneous, but if you have it and you're... If you, you can pass it down. Then you pa- okay, yeah. wow. Yeah. So it is considered a, a genetic mutation, okay. but it wasn't passed down. It's passed down from our family. Our entire family was tested. We were... You know, when Havana was showed the first signs for this, um, we were kind of all at a loss and didn't even know where to start. But um, eventually, this is this is what we realized. Like this is not something that uh, happens very often, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of spontaneous mutations out there. Is what we yeah. mean, but that's what um, I mean. Prader Willi syndrome, what Freya has, mm-hmm. it's uh, not hereditary. There's one one small type of it that is that is okay. Interesting. I don't understand the genetics enough, but mm-hmm. <laughs> the type that Freya has is yeah, could happen to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so, can we talk about that time getting yeah. the diagnosis? How how that came about? Yeah. Um, gosh, I can just close my eyes and put myself back there. It's kind of like it's those moments. There's birth. Mm-hmm. There's your, you get married. You know, there's all these great moments in your life you remember, you know. But, and then there's like the whole diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was, at the time we lived in Fieldbrook, and um, my husband was a tree planter. So he was gone Monday through Friday, planted in the winter, planted when it was wet. So February 2000, we'd sent in her blood work. Um, December 1999. For well, so can you? I'm sorry. Can we back up? Just, yeah. Because you had you gave birth to a healthy baby, mm-hmm. and and she was progressing, like growing typically. Yes. And. So you want to hear like? I mean, do you mind? Yes, that? absolutely. We, yeah. yeah. There's the D Day or however you want to call yeah, it. Yeah. So and I'm then, sorry. And then there's yes. like the... All, the, all the life before it. Um, yeah, so, gosh, I was pregnant with our second child. Um, we had just moved up to Fieldbrook from Southern California. I was getting ready to transfer to HSU, um, and we had moved there, and, um, and it was about a week after we moved there that I realized that something was going on with Havana. She wasn't the same person that we left Ventura with. And that's where we, where we had moved from. Um, and <clears throat> she wasn't she wasn't playing with her toys. And uh, But there was this incident where all the alarm bells went off. Um, which was, I, I had a bowl of carob-covered raisins or chocolate-covered raisins. Something like a real, you know, real exciting treat mm-hmm. for the kiddos and or for her. And I had the bowl on my lap. And again, I was pregnant. So if I'm really honest, I was probably just sitting there eating them. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they were sitting on my lap and she walked up. And this was about a, a week after I noticed she seemed different. This was a week after we had moved there. Um, no, I'm sorry. We, we, it was a week after we moved there. She seemed different. So two weeks after we moved there and she, she was thumbing through a book. Like it would, when you go through the pages, mm-hmm. you hit the corner, you know, right. that for a whole week. She mm-hmm. went from being your typical kiddo, talking, playing, feeding herself to holding a book and flipping through the corner pages the whole time. And then she dropped the book. And she never picked it up again. And she walked over to me right after she dropped the book. And I had the raisins. And I put them on the table for her. And she was picking them up with like a a pincher grasp. And she put it in her mouth. And, um, And then she went to go grab it again. And she couldn't grab the raisin. And then... Um, and then I took the raisin just watching this kind of unfold like trying to see like what part is not happy what's going on here like is there 
I had this feeling like, is there something like a connection between her finger and the brain right now? Is there a cog cognitive issue going on? That was my thought. And I, and I took the raisin and I moved it over to the side. I wanted to see if she would register like, oh, now I've just got to move over like six inches and try to grab it. And she just walked away from it. I could, I could tell that that was like, wasn't going to happen. And she walked away. I could tell that, that it was like all of a sudden too challenging, the whole thing. And that was the last time she ever picked up anything was that little raisin. And that book was the last time she ever picked up a book and, and enjoyed it on her own. Um, so that was, yeah, we were on high alert. <laughs> We didn't know what we were seeing. We weren't getting eye contact. Um, the doctors told us we think she's autistic. We went down to Southern California to go see specialists and they told us, um, they told us never to expect anything from her again. I was eight months pregnant and uh, it was, you know, the last thing in the world you want to hear and um, that year was was a really incredible year that the turns out with Rett syndrome she was in stage one that was the what I just described to you was stage one of Rett syndrome that and lasts about two weeks and it happens that quickly mm -hmm. so we just went through <sighs> stage one and to be a mother and just Watching that happen. Watching it, and um, I was a young mom. I was 20, I think at that point I was 22, 23, 22, 23. I was 23 at that point, and um, yeah, you know, you roll, it's kind of like you roll with the punches. You're, you're, that's, that, that's, if you want to survive and you're less treading, Whatever it is you're treading in, that's what you have to do. I mean, what's the other option? Right. <laughs> so that's what survival looked for us. Was like, okay, we have to figure this out. And um, I, it was. I wasn't completely against the diagnosis of autism. I didn't. I didn't believe it, mm -hmm. but I. I also didn't want any of it to be true. So I, I kind of wasn't, I, I, looking back at, your, at intuition, that's what that was. Mm -hmm. But again, I was a young mom. I now had this new baby and Havana going through this. And um, I don't know, maybe I just didn't want any of it to be true or something either. Mm. To, but autism also could fit. It could. Like, who was I to say? It couldn't. You know, what did I know? <laughs> That's how I kind of felt. Like, okay, well, she does not look at me. She does not hug me back anymore. She's not talking. She's in her own world. Okay. I guess, I guess that's what this is. Okay. How much speech did she have up to that point? Um, I mean, she was, she was seven. She was, she was 17 months old, so she could mimic animals make those sounds okay. um she liked to walk around and say me 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 <laughs> so it kind of became her nickname and we still call her that to this day Aww. um mama daddy um, so we weren't having full sentences but we were mm -hmm. we were well within the you go to the pediatrician and he looks, talks, asks you a few questions, and you, you walk out feeling like, okay, you know, everything's mm -hmm. be okay. <laughs> and then a week later, it's not. Yeah. Um. Um, so, so stage two hits. Okay. And um, it's it's a it's a hard stage. I mean, one is game on. And two is. They're there for about a year. Okay, and so what? So stage one is that like two week period where they regress, mm -hmm. and 
Stage two is... More regression. More regression. Yeah. Stage one is, is this rapid regression. Okay. And stage two is... Um, kind of find out what you're left with after stage two. So, and so at that point, you know, well, you didn't know yet. Mm-mm. You didn't know. So mm-hmm. you're still just kind of watching this and wondering when's it going to... Yeah. And these are all like abouts. Uh-huh. For example, the onset of Rett syndrome is typically six months to 18 months of age, mm-hmm. which is similar to autism. Okay. Yeah. And in some cases, Rett syndrome is in the autistic spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, some people say it is some people say it isn't um, it, I think it just depends on how you look at it right and each individual yeah um, maybe um, even maybe for like medical reasons or insurances possibly mm. you know? I have so much yeah. to say yeah. <laughs> but um, but I've, I've seen both it is and it isn't mm. on the spectrum um, but uh, so so stage two is well, typically, this is what a typical stage two looks like. Um, if you're ambulatory, you, you there's a high percentage chance that you will lose the ability to walk. Um, your speech goes away, your eye contact goes away, and um, you're very frustrated, you cry, mm-hmm. you can't eat, or, or it's not that you can't eat, it's um, your reflexes, you, you vomit almost every meal you have. So a lot of these girls become very thin and end up on G tubes. Um, it's it's uh, it's devastating. Mm. Yeah, you see it in their eyes. They're not looking at you, but you see them trying to figure out how to get out of this situation, like out of this body, out of this lack of control. What are these hands? Why do they keep? Mm. Why are they in front of my eyes again? Why? Like, they're just, um, it's like a whirlwind, mm-hmm. a real whirlwind inside yourself. That's what it looked like to me for her. Like she was just out of control or did not have the control of her own body. Mm-hmm. And, and had a consciousness about it. Yes, yes. She was so sad. Oh. Yeah. She barely slept and she barely ate and... We we kept feeding, and we Keith and I, my husband, we took turns staying up all night with her, and um, and some nights she'd be the only one at the party, happy as could be. Other nights she'd be up screaming and crying the whole time, but she was up. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about it. And she was moving. She wasn't just sitting there, so you had to get a watcher. And she was a little kiddo, so you know you had to make sure she didn't get hurt. Right. So yeah. And you had another baby with another you. Another baby, yeah. So when it would be, um, when it would be time to to take our turns, the baby would just come in with me. It was kind of the only way my husband and I could figure it out. Mm-hmm. Someone had to be with her, and we mm-hmm. both needed to sleep. So it was like. I don't really remember us like handshaking, like, okay, this is the deal. <laughs> right. But it was what it ended up looking like. Mm-hmm. That's what survival right then looked like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good night tonight, honey. Love you. Uh, good luck. <laughs> yeah. See you tomorrow. <laughs> mm. Well, and the, I mean, I can't imagine you got much sleep at all because then even those nights when you weren't yeah. with her, you had a baby next to you and that, yeah. they don't always let you sleep. Mm-mm. Do you yeah. think that having it was this baby a boy or a it girl? was a boy? A boy. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that he he was kind of a, a balm at the time, like in a way, like a like a comfort to kind of maybe not a distraction, but or was or was um, was it just even more stressful and. Mm. I I found myself um, feeling really guilty. Like, oh my gosh, what have I done? How can I take care of him? That's what I felt. This little girl over here needs all of me. How do I take care of him? And um, that's where I learned 
that you don't just make room in your heart. You actually grow uh-huh. a little more. <laughs> <laughs> so I grew my little extra lobe, and I was like, okay, well, plenty of room for you. Um, you know, it's uh, you don't know what you don't know, and naive is bliss, right? So mm-hmm. this, this little baby came in tow everywhere we went. Mm-hmm. Well, when we were learning therapy, he came with. When we were going to school, he came with. When you had to do anything, he just came with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, my youngest has been to a lot of therapies. Yeah. And uh, they. she used to play, actually, um, side tangent, but she used to play, they used to play, like I called it speech therapist. Mm-hmm. And Rona, the younger one, would say, <laughs> okay, Freya, say dog and then uh-huh. Freya would try and say it and it was so cute and, and I these think... were not bad experiences yeah no not for him and what a I mean what a beautiful way to learn compassion and mm-hmm. understanding and just being so you know from the start understanding that mm-hmm. that people everybody has their their challenges yeah. and their struggles and he's really connected to her maybe because of that mm-hmm. I mean he's not like itching in line to change her diaper or anything. I don't mean like that. Like he's like wanting to be the person that takes care of her in every way, but he has this um love and respect for her. That is is just genuine, like um I don't know, I think he told me a story or no, someone told me a story when he was off at college. You know, wow, Laird was really upset when someone said something about his sister. I never seen him like that and I was like, Wow do I even want to know? Like, yeah. I've never seen anyone say anything bad about a sister like, to him that I'm aware of. Like, ooh. So it was, it was, in a way, I was kind of, oh, that's so cute. I was like, well, wait. <laughs> Get a hold of yourself. <laughs> but, yeah, he, he loves her. He does. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so so baby just came in tow. I, I, I didn't know any different. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what it was like to have a special needs kiddo. And I didn't know what it was like to have a special needs kiddo with a baby, but I figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, as most people do. Yeah. Um, the The first few days were, were tough after I had him. I, I didn't feel connected and just that worry for her. But yeah, once that little extra lobe grew, and that was it. We just we figured it all out. Hmm. Yeah. So that was, so stage two is more regression. More regression. And then there's kind of a point where that stops, and then you can take a breath. Yes, that lasts say, about a year, stage okay. two. And that's, we definitely, it felt like it was almost exactly a year for us, I would say. But um, again, this stuff is, you know, give or take mm-hmm. a little bit of this, this, a month or two maybe, but that was our experience. Um, yeah, so all of a sudden I got eye contact from Havana. And I was like, wait, (laughs) you're looking at me. This is amazing. Mm -hmm. And I gave her a hug. And I just, I felt like a lean into me versus trying to hug like a, oh gosh, I don't know. I don't want to act like she didn't have any feelings, but I certainly wasn't, there wasn't a dance going on with Mm -hmm. any of our hugs. We were not, and it didn't feel like we were even in the same room, you know, it's like, let me just hold you, okay, and now you can wiggle free. Uh-huh. Yeah, that really didn't feel mutual. This felt like a connection. Wow. Oh. And um, I called all the doctors back. And by that point, um, uh, this some of the, some of this was mentioned in Laura's deal too. Was um, about six months into stage two. Um, that we um, we had had so much blood work done, fragile X syndrome, lead poisoning. I mean, there was so many to rise syndrome. I mean, there was like mm. it was there's so many things that we we wanted to know the answer, right? But um, then enough was enough. Uh, she she had bruises on her arms and. She would freak out when she'd see the white coat of a lab technician. So that was it. It's like, I didn't even care what it was called at that point. Yeah. Like, you know, the, now I'm starting to see 
um, us taking her backwards. It wasn't just everything happening on her own. Like she she was now dealing with what we were doing to her, and it and it felt like we were doing something negative. And and you know I understand the necessity for it. I'm not of course you you know blood work has to happen, but she was a little kiddo and she didn't understand that. So when they got the eye contact, I called the doctors back and I said, she's not autistic. And I had, um, someone had mentioned Brett syndrome to me. And um, during that regression, that stage two regression, Havana's hands just clenched a lot. And, and she, she, they were constantly moving, but they were tight. So fists, tight fists, where just your fingers are moving and and they're moving. Your, your thumb is squished in them, and I mean that happened for, for the year solid. So that was something different. You didn't always see that in autism. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. But sometimes you saw some hand, functional hand use in autism. Uh-huh. And it's just you weren't. These were just constantly moving fists, and um. Uh, so that led to someone mentioning, have you thought about Red syndrome? A doctor or? Family member. Oh, okay. Yeah. My mom, in fact. How had she heard about it? She'd had a neighbor who had had it, and they moved to Texas to be closer to a clinic. Wow. Um, and I think in her case, thinking about it now, like, because there was not any kind of blood work, it was a 10-year clinical diagnosis. How did they know that little girl had rat syndrome? I don't know. But my mom said she was probably like six when the family moved to the clinic uh, in Texas, Baylor University, which, which at the time was the special, one of the specialist locations for one of the most active labs on trying to figure out rat syndrome and, and the cause behind it. Um, my mom mentioned it and I kind of remember like a little inkling of being like a little mad like oh. <laughs> you know like mom like, you're no. not a doctor yeah like, <laughs> like she doesn't like that because that would suck you know <laughs> yeah and I called up the doctors let's take that test right there take that syndrome so we went to the lab and asked them can you all take off your jackets please we're gonna do this like let's not freak her out Mm-hmm. They were sweet as could be. We took our little flailing two and a half year old at that point. Not flailing, but she's she's not um, in control of her body, so she's walking or running or her hands are moving. And so we get we get the blood work and we get the results and um, yeah, it was. The, the results were, um, well, I got an email. And that's where now now we've just jumped back to where I was saying um, my husband was away tree planting. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was getting ready for behavioral therapy. So we she used, was getting therapy. Oh, yeah. Therapy. Yeah. Okay. In fact. Well, because she had the that, autism diagnosis. Right, right. So. And, and because she did resemble autistic tendencies that that was the road that best fit the situation at the time and so um, that's why we we're doing behavioral therapy ABA um, and, and lots of other things physical therapy speech therapy feeding therapy uh, yeah occupational therapy all of it <laughs> music therapy yeah we actually didn't start until later um, but yeah, you just, everything you think of for the body, we were doing therapy for it. <laughs> um, so your husband was planting trees. And... Yeah, he, he was away. <clears throat> we were getting ready. We were having a team meeting, actually. We were, we we're having not just behavioral therapy that, that was going to happen after this team meeting. So we had regional center coming out. We had all the different teachers involved, the different therapists. It was like a big thing about to happen, go down. I'm not quite sure why, but it was happening at her house. Huh. And was it, it like her three-year... No, because oh, she okay. was two and a half. Okay. 
and and we'd only known for a year that things were going different. I think it was just like game plan meeting, like what are their goals? Basically, what's the goals for the next year kind of thing. And 20 minutes before the meeting started, I, I got an email from um, the lab down in San Francisco, the genetics lab. And I read it. It was about eight sentences long. I didn't know what the heck I just read. There were words in there I'd never even heard. What's a translocated lake? And that was them telling you? <laughs> yeah. That... Well, had I, what, had I known then what I know now, I would have made perfect sense to me. Uh-huh. But that I didn't know that then. So I pulled out my dictionary. And this, this is before like Google.com uh-huh. or anything, right? I mean, emails still felt pretty prehistoric then. <laughs> Um, so I pulled out my big dictionary and I'm looking through and and um, realized, okay, the leg of my daughter's X chromosome is shortened. It's missing some information. And it's in the location of the X105T105X location. And, and I'm t- actually I'm actually making up that number right now okay. because <laughs> For some reason. So that, yeah. Well, it's like, it's in the MECP2 location. Yeah. <laughs> that part I remember. Right. Um, she had Rett syndrome. Like, I figured it all out. They couldn't just say that. No, it didn't just say that. <laughs> no. And, um. So you get this email, you piece it all together, and so then you realize... Yeah, and five minutes later, everyone walks in, and I'm, oh. I close my dictionary just as they walked in. And I don't, I barely talked through that whole meeting. I didn't tell anybody what I had just read. I was, I, I, my husband was away. I had the baby. What did this mean? This meant that we were about to have a meeting to figure out how to help her clap her hands because the chocolate chips weren't working. The reward. And it was at that meeting I realized it's not that she won't clap her hands, it's that she can't. My daughter can't control her fine motors right now. Or yesterday or tomorrow. And and I, I, I don't know, I just kind of looked at everyone and realized, like, look at all these great people around here. None of us are looking at the at the right page. We're, we're all lost, and we don't want to be, but we all are. And it, it felt like this weird cloud, like, um, or a bubble, or, or a little bit surreal. And, yeah, and so everyone left the meeting. And I actually asked if we could cancel the therapy for the day after the meeting. And um, called my mom. Uh, I'm blessed to have two moms, so was the one mom that, that suggested Rhett syndrome and was the other mom that, that I called that day. and Because um, my husband was away. It was, it was before cell phones. And she was awesome. She's like, well, you want me to come up? I'm like, yeah. I wasn't really that kind of person, really. I was, I, I was before I had kids, I was a, I was a, worked at the U.S. Forest Service as a firefighter. And mm-hmm. like, I was like, no way. I'm, I got this. I got this. <laughs> like, bring it on. I'm like, mountain. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, mom, can you come? And, um. And I walked over to my neighbors, who were, who were the closest thing I had to to family at the time. I mean, I, I, we were just really lucky that we moved next to, to some great people who, who also had kids. Who was pregnant along with me, so I got mm-hmm. to move there next to a, a pregnant woman. Right. It was just all this this great stuff, and we're still friends to this day. But and your mom was in Southern California, Southern so California. she wasn't going to be here for a for, while. For a while, yeah, I think she got here like three days later. Okay. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I went to her, and and I I can remember her reaction 
was what I felt. And she hated it. She hated that for me to tell her that. And she cried and she was angry and I just felt like I was watching myself. It was everything I wanted to feel in that meeting. And, um, but I was, I kind of felt like I had to, to be numb to it in a way, like a survival. It was for survival right then. Because you know. sometimes once you let go, then yeah. it's hard to stop. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, that meeting was full of people who would have wanted to have known. It wasn't like I was surrounded by horrible people. It was just, I don't know. I don't think it had to really hit. Yeah. Sunk in. I didn't believe it, maybe. I don't know. But seeing my neighbor's reaction made me realize that's what I feel. That's, that's, that's it right there. So we cried together, and I was grateful to have her. And um, I was really grateful to know what it was. Hmm. Like, what a blessing, really. I mean, if, if there was a blessing in that moment at all, was that I was not going to have to wait 10 years to find out what she had. Mm -hmm. I knew what she had. I knew what the road needed to look like now. Well, I mean, discoveries every day on that road. But I knew we were on the wrong one. <laughs> That's what I did know. Okay, er, back up. Let's look at this again. Um, it's not that she can't. I mean, it's not that she won't well, do these things. It's that she can't. Okay. Yeah. New perspective. Let's look at mm -hmm. it. A new perspective. And... And it was really forward motion at that point. I mean, you have a diagnosis. You get to go forward. It's, that is kind of the, the beauty of knowing. Right. But Yeah, because yeah. now it's not just this totally questionable, you're running around making this black yeah. universe. Okay, so, where fine. Am I? That's what you call it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Was it the vaccine I gave her? Was it. Mm -hmm. Was it something that happened to me when I was in utero? Is it, you know, I, you just come up with all these, I don't know, whose fault is it? Right, you yeah. Know, you know, mm -hmm. it's, that's kind of what it, I mean, I would definitely wanted to take any fault. Like, what did I do? Did I, you know, before I was pregnant, did I, did I, before I knew I was pregnant, did I do something or did I do something to my body when I was younger that did that, you know, now it's like, okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Maybe none of us really can say why ever that these are happening to our people we love. Mm -hmm. so, but now we got a road to go down. And we can take everything that we have with us on that road and go forward. Yeah. yeah. I, it's amazing to me here to hear all the diagnosis stories and to think of my own also like the pediatrician called me at eight o'clock on a friday night and i and i'm just like what you couldn't wait till monday like you couldn't give just give me the weekend mm -hmm. you know and my husband also was gone mm -hmm. and so it was my seven-year-old daughter that walked into the room after the diagnosis and i had two minutes of sobbing on her four little shoulders <laughs> and then i did the same thing i was like okay and i sent her out and i started making phone calls i did not call my husband because I did not want him, because he was out at our place, out in the hills by himself, and uh, I just wanted to, I was, we were going the next day, and <clears throat> I just called people, and very matter of fact, like this happened, and I called um, <clears throat> my best friend, who was at uh, my first daughter's birth, and she just sobbed into the phone, that was all she did, and I remember my feeling was kind of like, no, no, like I'm, I'm holding myself together, mm -hmm. like, get it together, like, this is mm -hmm. my child, I don't know, I was just kind of, like, and she had, it's part of your survival, yeah, well, and it was kind of terrifying, because she used to work at a, at a home for adult men, and she had worked with somebody with a disorder, mm -hmm. and so to hear her crying, mm -hmm. because she knew what the future looks like, yeah, that was, that was my neighbor, too, because, she and I had talked about Rhett syndrome, and she was so. She just, she just. First word was this, this holler of no, like, no, um, that's not allowed. Like that one's not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
how how wonderful for us to have um, friends that care enough <laughs> to feel to, it to be that mad right. <laughs> for us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, thank you, Amy. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. Yeah. I knew this was going to be an emotional one, and I was really trying to prepare myself. I was like, oh, of course. Like, like, I wanted to sit and cry. No, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Okay, so you have the diagnosis, and now you can move forward. Now you know what Mm -hmm. you're dealing with. Yeah. In a way, yeah. I mean, yeah. as much as you can with this. As much as we can, right. But it is, it's forward motion. It really <clears throat> wasn't what, what we wanted, but now let's gather our tools and figure out what we need to do. Who do we, 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 we called um, the Rett, the folks at Rett Syndrome. Um, at that time, it was the Rett Syndrome Foundation. Um, they were, oh my gosh, you know. They'd already been through it, these mm-hmm. people. They weren't just operators answering the phone. These were moms and dads who had kids, adult kids with Rett syndrome, who were answering the phone. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. Um, so they, they had great ideas and suggestions for therapy. Um, but we also lived in an area where no one else had Rett syndrome. And every time you mention it, um, I mean, other than my, my neighbor knowing about it, because she and I kind of researched some possibilities together, I never ran into anyone that were like, oh yeah, I know Rett syndrome. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've worked with someone with Rett syndrome. So you're yeah. explaining it to everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Tourette? Oh, Tourette syndrome? Uh-huh. Oh, no. I wish you would have Tourette syndrome. <laughs> I mean, I don't, not that I wish anything on anyone but that way, but. If you had to pick between the yeah. two. Yeah. So, um, yeah. It, uh, sorry, I forgot where it was. <laughs> oh, that's all right. No, we're just talking about, um, you know, after you get the diagnosis, kind of what, what next? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Therapy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We decided that, uh, well, Nirvana was going to go to school. What is that going to look like? She was getting older now. So at that point, she was two and a half. And when we got the diagnosis of Rett syndrome, and, um, or like two and eight months, and well, therapy also includes you know, getting ready for school. So we signed her up for Glen Paul, which is the only school in our area that's still around for um, special needs population. And uh, we went there and I saw um, two classes to choose from. And I said, okay, well, I want her in this class right here, the one where all the kids are running around. And then there was another class where there were all these sweet kiddos and they were um, non-ambulatory. They needed lots of help with every aspect. Toileting, feeding, medications, seizures. And um, so we did our tour and we got a call back and they suggested Ivana go into the more severe class. I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. Why? I, I mean, because Havana still is ambulatory. She she did lose her ability to walk for about a week during that that stage two of regression, but um, fortunately, she, with uh, lots of gross motor skill therapy, physical therapy, we she was walking again by the end of the week. Wow, Feldenkrais. That's amazing. Feldenkrais is really helpful for that. It was it was crazy watching it work on Havana. It was it, I felt like I was watching a magic show or something. <laughs> it was like so I just touch her here and she can do this this way. Like what? Wow. It was really neat. So um. So so she she started walking again. That was great. And um. And 
<clears throat> so I didn't understand why the suggestion for the class with the for the more severe population was necessary. And um, they said, uh, she was such a great teacher. Diane was her name. Diane said, you know, just, just come in and let's just see how it feels, okay? Okay, fine, now I'll, I'll tolerate this for just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so we go in, the three of us, baby in tow, and I realize right away it's awesome. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't a class for for non-ambulatory kiddos. It just happened to be that everyone in that class was non-ambulatory. Mm -hmm. But um, I think sometimes you one has the ability to not see the picture completely in order to enjoy the show. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? You you uh, can't admit all the all the negative stuff that you are seeing around you or let it in or else you, you it kind of eats you up mm -hmm. you know? and in, in my case I, I didn't realize that oh yeah feeding Havana is hard mm. yeah it's it took me a long time to really even admit like oh yeah this is really hard <laughs> um, and so that class was mostly for that reason and um, and they took the time that it was needed to feed Havana they taught us great skills for feeding Havana nice. um, they taught us how to learn to teach her I mean it was like this interesting concoction of education where we had to learn how to teach her and she had to learn how to be taught you know there was we, we none of us were walking into this knowing what to do mm -hmm. no one not even the school teacher and she had to figure this out too she never had anyone with Rett syndrome either no one at that school had you know so it, it must was, have been a little daunting to just uh it's funny no it wasn't actually because diane was um well, this was the beginning of finding out that when you have a special needs kiddo, the people that choose to work with a special needs population are like the world's best people. Oh my God. Right? <laughs> I say that all the time. <laughs> yes. Like if that is not the one gift you get out of this, mm. then man, I don't know. So what is stage three? So, so stage three is this plateau. So it's called the plateau stage. Um, so Havana, so basically Havana and others with Rett syndrome um, kind of left with what, what, what are you left with after stage two is what you're left with for mm, like another 10 years. Okay. So in Havana's case, she was able to regain that walking. So she was left with the ability to walk. Um, in, in a lot of cases, it could look something like this, say, um, onsets earlier, maybe before she even started walking, eight months, six months, a year, maybe even, you know, just starting to walk, but not that great. Mm -hmm. And then you, you have stage two, that one year of major regression. Well, if you haven't walked, it's probably it's not, not going to start during stage two. I mean, ah. I I have not heard of it happening, but I don't want to say it can't happen, but mm -hmm. I haven't heard of it ever happening. And then, so stage three, those girls start off with what they're left with. So in, in a lot of cases, it's there's a lot of girls that are non-ambulatory. Um, then there's also the, the fine motors. What are you left with? With um, and these are all typical Rett syndromes right. that I'm describing here. There's there are atypical syn syndromes out there of Rett syndrome. Yeah, um, but uh, that's a very small percentage. Uh, but uh, so in Havana's case, she she could walk, but not always, and most of the time, not in the direction she wants to go. So she could walk and walk and walk and walk and walk and walk. But if she wanted to sit down, tough luck. 
her legs wanted to walk. Like she was almost given this like opposite gift <laughs> of like too much walking in a weird way. I mean, I, I've never really even thought of it that way, but that's kind of what it was. It was like she, well, too much walking. It was just, she had too much, uh, she didn't have the ability to sit down. If you could even think of it that way. Like she, we actually had to do therapy to teach her how to sit down. Huh. Um, because her legs would just keep going. That's apraxia for you. you know, lack the automatic function to control your body. Um, and so she was really skinny. And then, because off, she can't, because she, she was like the ex- energizer bunny. And she and oh, having feeding it. issues. And then the feeding issues. <clears throat> um, so, in Ivana's case, during stage two, she vomited up three fourths of her meals. So we fed her with uh, medicine droppers, and we get medicine dropper down her throat, squish the the food down there, and it would bypass this like trigger mechanism in her in her reflex, and so that's how we got the calories in her, the ones that she didn't throw up. Mm-hmm. And eventually, the doctor said, and this being a very common situation for all girls with Bet syndrome. Stage two is um, they recommended a G tube, mm-hmm. gastrointestinal tube. And <clears throat> Ivana was uh, at the time one of the most ambulatory girls with Rett syndrome. We'd already gone down to the clinic in the Bay Area where the genetic office was. They got to see her. Not only did Ivana walk, she climbed. So she would climb up a chair and then she'd climb up onto a table. I mean, I caught her hanging 10 off so many tables. It was crazy. It's like, um, and it was like, it's like where she wanted to be, like the dangerous, <laughs> scary place. Oh, let me hang 10 off the edge of the dining room table. Oh. Fun. You know? Like, ah. um, but uh, when they saw that the genetics doctor, uh, the geneticist, they, they really made me feel good. Like, no, this is, this is awesome. That she can do this. I mean, we you know we realize yeah it's kind of dangerous, but this is incredible. So, nice. I, you know Yay. I felt like we had a lot of a lot of hope just knowing that she can walk still. Um, but the feeding and G tube situation, um, we decided not to. We decided because she was so ambulatory. Um, just having that procedure, we'd heard that. One, it could just take one surgery and a little bit of time of uh, recovery, and the girls will never walk again. There's like, um, we've just, we just we heard it over and over again from different <sighs> families with kiddos with Rettstrom. So we thought, well, we can get the calories in her. We'll get mm-hmm. them in her. We want her to keep walking. And um, so we did. And it was tough, but we did it. And I have to hand it to my husband, in fact. I mean, it was force feeding at times. If you looked at us behind a, or watching us behind like a a screen where you couldn't hear what we were saying, you know, our words of encouragement or anything, it would look like we were force feeding our child, shoving food down her throat. Like my my husband's thumb has become a really great tool. Like he he has been able to to get food down her throat with that thumb. And which is the helped her survive. Uh-huh. It's crazy the things that you end up doing. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Deblos Debbie was great in helping us figure out like where to put the food in her mouth to not let that gag reflex happen. What kind of textures to work with. Mm. Um, so those were crucial moments of learning and therapy, learning all that stuff. And is she? Is it still like that to feed mm-hmm. her? Yeah. No, no, it's not like oh. that to feed her anymore. Okay. Um, but, well, yes and no, actually. It just depends on the day. It's less like that now. Um, I know in Laura's podcast you said now she's in stage four. She's in stage four, yes. So so we never got the G-tube, and okay. um, that was a small victory for us, for her, for us, for her. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but with a lot of force feeding, I guess, again, you could call it, she was happy to eat it. And so frustrated to not be able to eat it. I so bet. it's 
again, when if someone has a praxy, you kind of can't read their body language. You have to like read their eyes. And in Havana's case, um, while she's in stage four, she, the second she hit stage two and we, or excuse me, stage three, and we got eye contact, mm-hmm. that's been her way to communicate. She talks with her eyes. Right. Just like all the girls with Rhett's nose. They all talk with their eyes because it's really what they have left to control the most. Mm-hmm.